I'm Dave Monaco, the Allen Meyer Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast. We are in the midst of three conversations in which we will take a particular angle on this year's theme of belonging. Specifically, that in order to foster belonging, communities must first establish conditions of physical and emotional security. Having pondered the issue of physical safety on our campuses with Director of Community Safety Bodhi Sarton in our last episode, we shift now to emotional security. To do so, I invited four members of the Inclusive Community Task Force to join me to discuss the work we did together in 2018 and 2019, assessing how Parish could enhance the sense of inclusion and connection, both catalysts to a sense of emotional safety on Parish's campuses. The Inclusive Community Task Force, comprised of 20 parents, students, administrators, faculty, and staff members, spent the 2018-2019 school year working at the Board of Trustees' behest to make recommendations on on how the school could live more fully into its mission as an inclusive Episcopal community. The task force heard from community members through focus groups, analyzed survey results, and studied comparable diversity inclusion programming in higher education, prep schools like Parish and the nonprofit and corporate sector. They authored a comprehensive report that contained over 25 recommendations. It was delivered to the Board of Trustees in the spring of 2019 and approved by the trustees in May of 2019. Joining me for this conversation are Michael Pegese, a trustee, alumni parent, and co-chair of the task force, Desiree Gibson, who's a lower school faculty member, Brenna Greeling, a middle school humanities instructor, and Cruz Gonzalez a member of the class of 2020. I think you'll be both impressed by and appreciative of the passion and commitment these individuals brought to the task at hand. I also think you'll be affirmed by the comprehensive and thoughtful approach Parrish has taken to building a healthy, safe, and inclusive community in which its members can thrive. team here today, not just one individual on the From My Angle podcast. I am glad to have representatives of the Inclusive Community Task Force here to talk a little bit about the work that that committee did last year and has yielded the report that we are acting on uh, this year here on campus. All on the theme of belonging and this month in September, I just had Bodhi Satin on, uh, Sartin on, our Director of Community Safety listeners know, and we talked a lot about how physical safety is an important part of feeling a, uh, a sense of belonging in a place. I think the conversation we'll have today is really about how when one comes here and feels a sense of belonging, it has a lot to do with them uh, individually, feeling like they can plug into this place and be honored for who they are uh, in this inclusive Episcopal community. So friends, good to see you all again. Thank you for being here. I'm going to ask them each to go around and tell you uh, who they are and what they do here, and then we'll talk a little bit about the purpose of this task force and the work we did together in 2018-2019. So Brenna? Would you introduce yourself uh, to get us started? Yeah, I'm Brenna Greeling. I teach seventh grade humanities and I coordinate the diversity and inclusion work for the middle school. I'm Cruz Gonzalez. I'm an advocate for the Student Diversity Leadership Council and also part of the Inclusive Community Task Force. And a senior here yeah, this I'm year. Yeah, a senior here at Parish. Yep. I'm Desiree Gibson. I'm a pre-K-4 teacher in the lower school and I am also the diversity and inclusion coordinator for lower school. And I'm Mike Pegues. I'm a board member, a, a parent of a grad. Uh, 
I've worked with Dave on the inclusive uh, community task force and various other diversity task force related to the uh, to the school. Yeah, in fact, Michael co-chaired it with me, and so Michael, maybe we can get started at really getting back to the purpose of this. So, as a board member, when you go back to April of 2018, that's our work day, and we had uh, come, and I'd come forward and said, I think it really is going to be important for us as a board and a community to think about what it means to live into our mission as an inclusive Episcopal community. And the board said, we agree. Um, let's go form a task force. So from a board member's perspective, what did you see as the imperative and the call to, to, to go form this task force and to do this work? Well, what I saw, Dave, was a an opportunity to work with you and the school and the board to help our students come and uh, feel a belonging within the school mm -hmm. to be able to express who they are and be able to be who they are. And to facilitate that, we went through a process of meeting with various constituents throughout uh, our community and then worked with the task force to come up with the report. And all of this is just a means by which we create an environment where students can come and learn and achieve and go out and be successful in the world. And I was very excited to help uh, the school with that endeavor. Yeah, so the, the task force uh, was quickly formed in the late spring of 2018, populated by some of the folks that are here. It had uh, 20 individuals on it, so we just have a few of the representatives there. Um, but, um, you know, when you think about it, Desiree is a lower school instructor. When we came and asked you to be on the task force, what opportunity resonated with you that you chose to step in to, to do the work? I think it was a very impactful experience to be part of the task force for me and to have a voice um, in the call for action. We spent lots of time on the weekends, um, during the summer, after school, doing research and creating and conducting those focus groups. And it was so inspiring, really, to see the group, how dedicated they were to the call of action. Mm -hmm. Anybody else like Cruz? Like when you were asked, this is, there are only three student representatives yeah. on it, so you're in there with all these adults. Like, what was that experience like for you being asked to participate? Were you hesitant? Or were you excited? Were you nervous? Like, no, I, I wasn't hesitant. When you first asked me, I was uh, surprised because mm -hmm. uh, I never thought y'all would want, like, a kid in there with all y'all adults. But, uh... Mm -hmm. No, when I got in there and I saw there was two other kids, I felt more comfortable, and uh, I believed we were going to make a difference mm -hmm. uh, with all these perspectives, especially from students who are actually experiencing all this. Mm -hmm. yeah. Brenna, your thoughts on, on being asked to participate and what you hoped for from it um, when you were approached? I, I think we talked about this at the end of last year, but um, seeing it go through the full year, mm -hmm. I felt so excited at the end of the year and hopeful in part because there were so many people who cared. Mm. You know, it's not always something that people maybe bring up <coughs> naturally in conversation, but to see that so many people did care, wanted to be a part of it, engaged with the work, and that they listened to each other, that was super inspiring that that's our community. And I could see like a very exciting path forward mm -hmm. we weren't just going to stay where we were and say we're doing enough we wanted to do more yeah really to live into the mission and so this mm -hmm. this 20 person uh, task force was put together with a very specific charge from the board and the charge was to produce and deliver a comp comprehensive report to the board of trustees in april of uh, 2019 uh, that would uh, set us on the course uh, to to live fully into our mission statement as an 
inclusive Episcopal community and the board approved uh, diversity statement, which had been approved in uh, in twenty in twenty fourteen. So you all have hinted at the elements of the work that we did. It was generally. Um, uh, focused in three uh, distinct pieces. We had parent focus groups and surveys. We did a scan of diversity and inclusion-based programs in the corporate, public school, independent school, nonprofit uh, uh, sector. And then we spoke to a series of experts or consultants who came in and, and spent some time with us. So um, I think uh, both Brennan and Desiree spent some time in the actual parent focus groups as representatives of the task force uh, there. So tell us a little bit about how those were set up. Those were cross-constituent groups. They were not selected by uh, any particular ideology or, or criterion other than that they represented what we felt were uh, sort of the diverse spectrum of our families here. So uh, as you sat there uh, for those experiences, what was that like uh, to you? What did you hear? What was the, what was the experience? I was with a faculty and staff focus group, so we had mm -hmm. representation from lower school, middle school, upper school. Mm -hmm. We had staff members from throughout our school, and everyone was really willing to participate. I think they were very grateful that they were asked <coughs> to be a part of the focus groups and that their voices could be heard. And I think it also was great that we had a task force member in those groups because they felt a little mm -hmm. um, better having a familiar face. Yeah, the groups were actually facilitated by the Center of Research and Evaluation at SMU. So we had a third party that actually executed the the, the, uh, the sessions, but we were here really to make sure um, that we had a task force member there as ears and uh, ears in the ground. Brenna, who were you um, uh, in with uh, faculty constituents, parent constituents? Uh, I was with middle school students. No, students and I, yeah. yeah, and I know when we were talking about forming the focus groups, there are some people who um, expressed hesitancy with um, <coughs> can middle school students talk about these things and mm -hmm. I work with them every day and I said yes they are and you know we would rather them talk about it with people who can help guide those conversations than just to go off on their own and maybe not have that guidance that they sometimes need with some very important and sometimes challenging topics and it was amazing to hear how open and honest they were and they clearly are thinking about these things too yep so just being able to engage them can sh just show you how much they are thinking about them yeah crews coming out of the student recommendations were uh top recommendations for things like creating smaller group settings for students to talk about current events and bring up questions around these issues of equity and difference and, and race, um, that there should be a task force within the student body to look at gender disparity in, in uniforms, we heard. That was pretty interesting. Um, and the students, like almost every other constituent, was uh, very much uh, wishing for us to hire a director of diversity and inclusion or an inclusion belonging yeah. because we had lost Ms. Kanaj at that point. So you know, when I bring up some of those recommendations from students as a student who's on the ground walking the, the halls of our upper school all the time how do those uh, jive parallel with what uh, what you sense and hear upstairs um, yeah I definitely feel like it's important to have someone to be able to go to when there's an issue or um, something you just need to talk to mm -hmm. so uh, I definitely feel like we do need the uh, SDLs not as diversity mm -hmm. director right somewhere in the upper school that uh, students feel comfortable being able to talk to. 
and you sense the students want to be talking about issues um, that we see in this complex global society. Another phrase from our mission statement, I mean, the world out there is is riven with lots of complexities at this point and, and uh, controversies and, and differing opinions on issues of race and ethnicity and, and equity and inclusion. Is your sense that the students want to be having conversations about those? Yeah, I've seen a lot of students who, uh, who sometimes talk about it in class which I don't feel like it's the most like appropriate place to talk to about because uh, people have different views and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, having someone that specializes in that, like being able to relate to you or uh, guide you is definitely helpful. The faculty and staff in these constituents, to uh, my faculty uh, colleagues here, uh, talked about, again, the need to hire a director who, who would help us see this uh, programming through, but uh, they recommended looking at how we market and how we represent our community and our marketing materials. Uh, they talked about uh, looking at volunteer opportunities for uh, for folks in the community here to uh, sort of raise all of our collective awareness to issues of equity in the broader Dallas uh, community. What do you hear faculty and staff talk about or think about or, or wonder about when it comes to how to live into our mission as an inclusive Episcopal community? Um, well, I started off this year in the middle school. We did a faculty workshop and it was all based around language and we talked about calling people in versus calling people out, which we talked about a little last year, but we did a refresher, mm -hmm. talked about some scenarios, and those spark so much conversation because that's really about like, this is my day to day. Mm -hmm. These are things that happen in my room. How do I respond? Um, and people also come up to me afterwards and all the time and share stories about like, this happened in my room and this is kind of how I responded, how like I felt good about it or I, or I wasn't sure how to respond. and. Mm -hmm just those kinds of things sparking more conversations because they want to know like what do I do in my day-to-day -day? Yeah. like they're not thinking like big picture just the mission like how do I handle these things that happen in my room with my students to make a safe space and to get really specific to that I just had one come across my desk yesterday mm -hmm. where um, a, a parent said you know mixed race a mixed race uh, a parent said you know really young kids here a student said to uh, my son I understand that uh, children or people of this ethnicity don't need as much sleep as others, right? Seemingly like it had been directed to this child because of his of his race or, or ethnicity. That's what you mean by calling in and calling out. Like mm -hmm. as the teacher who's sitting at that moment who may hear that, how do I address that, right? And that's what you're trying to help faculty just have conversations about. There's no right or wrong answer. It's hard, right? But just to be able to talk through how one might handle that. Yes, and I, I also think uh, it's important to empower our students to do that. And I've seen, especially as probably they get older, they start to feel more and more comfortable doing that. But we did an activity at the end of last year, and we're probably going to do a similar one at the end of this year with that same calling in versus calling out type of scenarios. But for students, like if, a, if your friend says this, how might you respond mm -hmm. and just talk it through and see what people think? So Desiree, you're hearing faculty who are interested in having these conversations with students, laying this foundation with them so they have a competency to go out into the world and manage difference that's around them. Are, are you sensing your colleagues in lower school are interested in doing the same? Yes, and Brenna and I have been talking a lot as we're setting up different trainings and it's similar conversations. Um, in the lower school, we are working on having courageous conversations for students, parents, um, our colleagues and like Brenna mentioned calling in versus calling out mm -hmm. and the conversations are 
things that might be difficult to have, but they're so important to know how to respond to those situations. Mm -hmm. And I feel like one thing that's really been helpful in the past years are inclusive dinners. Mm -hmm. I've learned so much from other people just by listening, and I might not have the same perspective as them, but we can sit and listen to each other respectfully. And I think that's more of what we need to try to do. Yeah, so Desiree's referring to the inclusive community dinners we did two of them last year, we'll do two this year, and would urge listeners to uh, be looking for um, the the, uh, the calendar dates and announcements of those, really where we come together as a community, broadly representative, fa faculty, staff, board members, students, and have facilitated conversations about our identity, who we are, what our stories are, how our stories are, are paralleled and unique in some cases, and how they're wonderfully different. Um, and there really have been uh, excellent times to share and do that. So, you know, this data came in from our constituents, it was very interesting. We scanned programs across the landscape, very interesting. Uh, and then we moved in the, in the second half of 2019, really beginning in January, to, to start saying, like, why should we be doing this work? What's the rationale? And what are our recommendations? And I mean, I think boiling up to the top, Michael, like we came down with three pretty strong rationales for why we feel this work is important. And it's not about ideology. It's about pre preparing our kids to be positively impactful in a complex global society. So we wanted to do this work because um, we know kids are going to experience a diversity on the college campuses that they're going to. So we think it's part of that preparatory landscape. We know that they're going to uh, see it as they head out into the world of work, where all top Fortune 500 com companies are doing uh, work around inclusion, equity, and diversity. And we know that America and Texas continue to brown and become more diverse places. So just to be a, a, a functional, competent member of a, of a community uh, are part and parcel of why we think we should be doing this work. So, you know, again, as a board member, when you think about being a steward of this place, how did those rationale statements resonate for you and why do you think they were so important? Well, they, they absolutely resonated with me. And it's preparing our kids for, like you say, a complex global society. They need to be able to go out and interact with people who don't look like them, mm -hmm. who they don't see on a regular basis in their neighborhood where they grew up or you know, perhaps even where they go to school. They need to understand that differences don't necessarily mean that these people are dissimilar. There's there's the same people. They have different experiences, and those experiences influence how they react going forward. And we talked a bit about all of the input into <coughs> our studies, and I think it it can't be emphasized enough that this wasn't just some parents coming in and saying, "My kids don't do this. My kids don't do that." We talked to the parents, but we also focused on the kids. And I think that's why it was so, or the students, I shouldn't say mm -hmm. kids. Um, but that's why it was so important that uh, students like Cruz were mm -hmm. involved in this process. And those guys came in and sat mm -hmm. down and fully expressed themselves mm -hmm. and didn't hold back. And that's a difficult thing to do. So in looking at how we are going to serve our constituent community being the students it was important to have that input and that also led to some of my satisfaction mm -hmm. in working with the uh, with the group and making sure that we set these kids up for success as they matriculate to college and on into the rest of their lives i mean i think you and i as the um, in this group here today the primary mission stewards of of the institution realized that 
um, our work in this area up to up to 2018 had for some be seen had, had been seen as a kind of a Trojan horse of ideology like the institution trying to tell especially of our, our older kids how to think about making uh, um, uh, this world more inclusive or what political stance to take or what have you for us this work even more so now it always has been but even more so now coming out of this task force report was about bold leaders what our mission statement calls our young students to be guided to become who impact the complex global society for good that th this is a fundamental competency you refer to people of difference whether it's thought background story identity whatever the case may be if we can't put people out into this world who can who can strike the middle ground build build positive solutions out of uh, disparate opinion uh, then they're not going to be the bold leaders we profess to wish to train right? yeah you know and a lot of people think that leadership means I need to be president of this organization or president of that organization or start this group or that group yep. and that's not necessarily mm -hmm. what it means it means how you interact with people how you lead by example and just being able to step out and talk to whoever is in your circle be it work school or just in the neighborhood if you can do that that influences others and then they follow you and that's the means by which you show the leadership you don't have to be president or vice president of anything mm -hmm. you just need to be comfortable in who you are and express that in your relationships and i think that's what this report and what we're trying to do here at parish helps our kids our students uh, achieve. Yeah, whatever level they find themselves uh, in, in society that they're able to go in and, and, and help move toward a positive outcome. And I think the, the rationale, while important, um, was sort of the head uh, of the report. Like, mm -hmm. this is the logical reason to be aligned with mission and do this work. But then there were these aspirations, five of them that we crafted, that were really the heart of the report. And it was really the um, the task force over the ten meetings that we had over the course of, of nine months working together saying this is what we want Parrish to feel like. We came back 10 years from now and walked the halls and talked to people that Parrish would feel this way to its community members and constituents. And so I'm just gonna read one of them at a time and I'm just gonna ask you know, whoever would like to kind of, re kind of reflect on what that means to them and why it was important to, to respond. The first of these aspirations of the, of the heart, if you will, of the report where we want individuals when they come to Parrish to feel that they can be their authentic selves. Why did we feel like that was so, um, why that was so important? Uh, Desiree, you want to jump in and maybe have first uh, reflection on uh, why that was so valuable to the committee? Yes, because really we want kids to be physically safe, but we also want them to feel safe emotionally. And we want them to feel respected and cared for when they walk through our doors, that they don't have to cover any part of themselves. and. You know, in the report, we heard some in the focus groups, they feel like they have to live, leave their authentic self um, at home, and we don't really want them to have to do that. Also, that they can share all of their gifts and talents, and if they belong to a community or a place, then they're going to be able to share all they have to offer. Yeah, understanding, of course, that at the end of the day, we, we as I've said on the podcast a couple of times this year with Dr. Evans and others, you know, we, we can't be a, a community of 1,155 kids who are being their full authentic self outside the, the understood values of a community, right? I, I, this is a place ultimately that has a set of shared values around 
um, beliefs and practices and policies to which we all uh, must concur and, and sort of mute our individual and authentic selves when we step into, uh, into the covenant of community here. But nevertheless, if I choose to, within the bounds of this community, express a part of my story or identity here, we want it to be we want it to be honored, and we want that person to feel comfortable doing so. You referenced one of the more powerful pieces of focus group feedback we received, which was literally from a student who said, "You can be yourself as long as it is not too much of you," and that really resonated with us that we didn't want people to feel that way coming here. The second um, aspiration, which is that individuals feel they belong and that there's a difference between being included and belonging. So Cruz, you know, talk about what that means to you as a student who's come to Parish, uh, as I think you've been really candid and open with in your own story, who doesn't come from a background uh, or uh, uh, conditions that are um, aligned with the majority of people here. So what does being included and actually belonging mean to you as a student? Uh, um, so. One of the biggest things I've seen is uh, a couple years ago, everyone thought being diverse was enough, but that's not really a thing. You have to be inclusive because you can't just put a group of people with different races, different backgrounds, and think they'll just uh, feel comfortable with each other when they don't even know each other. Um, so we've worked on that, getting them inclusive, meaning they understand each other's uh, different backgrounds and understand that they're different from you but that doesn't mean uh you have to ca kind of cast them away and form your own little groups with people you feel uh are exactly like you and like kind, kind of going back to what you were saying about having a different background myself uh when i first came here i did feel a little um kind of away from like the little groups they had here because I guess I wasn't invited to like the their like big like events or something because they had like a lot more money, mm -hmm. uh, giving their social um, economics. Yeah, economics, social economics. Economics. yeah, sure. Um, but going into the upper school, uh, that kind of all changed because there was more people like me. Everyone getting to understand that, oh, maybe we can just do other stuff, and also sports helped a lot um, because when you have that common interest that really gets you together and feeling like a family here. Yeah, and one really practical example of being included and belonging is, Cruz, welcome, you've been accepted to parish and you get to walk in the front door with your backpack and come to school here, but you don't have the ability or a student doesn't have an ability to purchase a computer, for example. So now I walk in, I'm included, but all the other students here, because we're bringing your own device, or have access to a computer and I don't that's not full belonging, right? Because you don't have the ability to maximize and leverage all the opportunities that are afforded here in the same way that another student does. So what does the school do? We've provided a set of laptops that are available here for checkout and loaner, in fact, to any student who's got a broken computer or whatever the case may be. But certainly uh, we are also providing it for families and, and students that uh, need it through our financial aid program. And so this is the way the school is taking sort of conscious steps to make sure that the admissions letter that you receive that says, welcome to parish, uh, and you're included now in our community, quote unquote, is not every step that we need to take to make sure that uh, your experience here is as full and rich and vibrant as every other student who's coming in the door. Yeah, I've definitely felt grateful for um, the aid the school has provided with like the laptops and supplies and like stuff like that because you don't feel like you're at a disadvantage mm -hmm. uh, compared to other students. You feel like you could reach your full potential just like any other student who uh, either 
paid the full tuition or mm-hmm. got financial aid to come here. The next two recommendations uh, or aspirations, these hard aspirations, really talked about the notion of our community getting more comfortable talking about challenging parts of our individual stories and persisting through that discomfort to kind of come out on the back end to feel like once our story is told and I feel comfortable telling it here, I'm going to be respected and honored um, for the perspectives I share, whether those perspectives are the majority perspective or conservative perspective or liberal perspective, that if I want to be able to profess them, I can do so. I will be honored for expressing them. I'm going to be willing to listen to someone whose positions are uh, different from mine, even if it's a little uncomfortable, right? So these third and fourth ones get to be a little bit more challenging, right, Brenna? So uh, I think we would all agree that our community's got some work to do to get there, right? I, I think every community everywhere probably has so <laughs> well much said. to do to get there. Well said. Um, I, and I think it's just like a constant reminder for not just for students, but for, you know, me and for anybody else who is in this community to just think about like it's our differences are neither good nor bad. They're just different. And um, it's going to be normal, like it's real life to have differences and to disagree with people. And how do we do that in a constructive way? Mm-hmm. How can we be thoughtful and respectful even when we don't agree with one another? Right. That is a skill and it takes practice. So I, I remember that with my students all the time. It's a skill. We're working on it. It's a skill for me. It's a, I, That's how I see it. And that's okay that we're not going to do everything perfectly all the time and we can talk it through. Yeah, it's, it's actually two skills. It's how we say it and it's how we hear it, right? Because mm-hmm. I think up to this point at times, how we've said our work around this uh, element of diversity and inclusion has been um, sensed as trying to shame or browbeat or, mm-hmm. or, or uh, inculcate, right? And, and to turn people on to a certain way of thought. And so those of us that are professing this work have to really step back, um, even from our uh, unintentional tone around that regard. And then you bring up this notion of listening, right? So that we we listen and suspend judgment. And really the board has already started this work as have faculty and staff um, through what we're calling the, the Dallas dinner table model of just practicing our listening skills, right? So maybe you can talk for just a second about um, how this experience has sat us in small cohorts of eight or nine around a table to take in some questions and uh, and and respond to those. So Desiree or, or Brenda, you want to you want to just uh, respond to that? Sure. Um, I first participated in our dinners that are set up like the Dallas dinner, and then I started facilitating those. And it really does take some skill to do those because you go around, you have questions, you have to wait until your turn to get a question, and you're just listening. You one of the rules of those talks is you don't interrupt, you don't debate, you don't argue. At the end, you can ask someone about their story or something that they've shared. And it's just really interesting to have to sit there and not really say anything. Um, But it also really helps you think about some of your biases that you might have. So as Brenna was saying, it is a difficult thing to do. and We have to always be mindful of 
our own biases that we bring into situations and conversations. But all 200 faculty and staff have done this in May and again in August. Mm -hmm. um, the board did it in August and the questions we've started with have been gentle. Like, where did you grow up? <laughs> Yeah. How many? How many? Were you in your family, or are you one of many? A small family, or, or a large family? You know, what do you like to do when you're not at work? These are these are not uh, these are not controversial, challenging topics. We're we're not getting into that discomfort, mm -hmm. but we are really again just practicing this notion of listening and recognizing the beauty in the individual stories and the unique identities of those that surround us, and, and we think incrementally as we. Uh, bring perhaps more challenging questions into those talk groups that uh, our, our ability to persist through discomfort as our aspiration expresses uh, will be will be honed and we'll get we'll get better the fifth um, the fifth one um, uh, is th this notion of this commitment to inclusivity cascading throughout the institution and within the parish culture and Michael this is really where it starts at the top right <laughs> so that's right. That's like right. that's me that's and that's right. you and your trustees <laughs> that's right. and so I'm proud um, that the trustees have really stepped into this uh, into this work and so you can speak to that but also this this idea that uh, you know we can't have just a few voices here that are seen as the as the pair as the paragons of this work it's really got to be something we as a community commit to together that's right. And while Dave likes to think he's the head of everything, uh, and he may be to the public, he does answer to the board. So <laughs> the board might actually be the head, uh, and then they channel their thoughts through the direction of the head of school, mm -hmm. which is Dave. Uh, and the board has bought into mm -hmm. all of this. Mm -hmm. And so we have to sit down and, and we're participating in these activities, like you said, as well. We have to sit down and listen to each other talk. We have to sit down and listen to people say things that we might not want to hear, mm -hmm. but we listen and then we can react to that or implement something. So it starts there. So this isn't something that just Desiree and Brenna mm -hmm. are implementing at the lower school or Cruz is helping to implement in the upper school mm -hmm. uh, through the uh, inclusive community belonging student group. Mm -hmm. This is something that the board is going through and with your leadership. And this isn't something that we did because we had this major issue. We've seen a number of independent schools and other schools around the city have problems that they then have to react to. Right. We were proactive. Yeah. And I think that's important. Yeah. Because we're set up now to handle issues within our school. And when our kids go off to college, we may not have to deal with some of the things other schools are dealing with because of what we're doing now. And it's an effort also to get everyone to understand and have a better feel for what we're doing. So the board in their interactions or in our interactions are learning what Cruz and his cohorts in the upper school are are learning or his fellow students or his teammates and then Desiree and Brenna are then spreading throughout the um, the lower school so this is a, a full body implementation of this program and I have to say that it takes courage to do it mm -hmm. it takes commitment to do it and it takes strong leadership to do it yep. and uh, you know the faculty staff students and the head of school and the board have all bought in and that is just fantastic right and you speak to sort of this uh, um, landscape of challenge in institutions of higher education and schools like parish where these issues have come out come up 
only, frankly, a microcosm of a, of a changed world in the last five years. If you look back to 2015 and now, anyone who's paying attention to the news and sees where points of controversy and challenge are just in the broader domestic landscape, recognize that uh, that these are issues that are fomenting uh, across the across the country so I think we're also just realizing that again if our kids are going to go out into that world and have a competency to navigate it and not just navigate it but lead in it we've got to start the work here as a complete and full community committed to doing it um, trying to build um, together these uh, these capabilities in our in our kids so the report um, released 25 recommendations, which you know we, by the time this podcast drops, will have already covered with the community at the uh, at the September 19th meeting in 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 part. But among the most immediate ones that we're working on are uh, are the process of evaluating the best fit and the scope of work for uh, the director of uh, inclusion and belonging or some like position. We have two consultants and Dr. Kenneth Chapman and uh, Keena Shine who are now here working with us and have brought great uh, great insight and resource to our. Community community. Uh, but we are uh, beginning uh, audits of communication material. We are looking at uh, how we convey and, and, and express our messages throughout the, the, the community here. We are looking at the programming uh, that we run. We have an implementation committee of close to 20 people that are meeting on a monthly basis with three trustees on it, to Michael's point, uh, to really monitor the implementation of this task force report. So I think in wrapping this up, I mean, I feel um, you know that this is um, a, a, both a powerful personal and professional experience for me to sit on the task force, but as the school, uh, as the school's um, at least nominal leader, Michael, um, I feel positive about the directions in which uh, <laughs> in which we're heading at this point. So you guys have spoken to it a little bit, but just as in closing up, like as you look forward from from where you stand right now, what's your what's your mindset about this work, and what's your spirit of hope and possibility? Are you feeling? Uh, any points of particular frustration, worry, or anxiety, or are you all feeling like, hey, we're we're on on a course and we're going to make this happen? Kind of where where are you? What's your mindset? I think we are making it happen. Is there going to be anxiety? That's also real life. <laughs> I think is, this is going to happen yep. as well. Uh, but it hasn't stopped us, and that again is where I am hopeful. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would have been really easy when Tainita left for us to just sit back and say, well, we got it. This yep. is fine, and we haven't, and that has made me very excited about mm -hmm. what the school values mm -hmm. and where we want to go. I would also say it's very exciting. I know um, you mentioned there was like the head of the report, the heart of the report, mm -hmm. but then I would also like to think there's the hand where mm -hmm. we are mm -hmm. taking the action and moving forward mm -hmm. and reaching and stretching and still trying to all figure out yep. it together. Yeah, that's well said. Yeah, um, I'm really excited because I know we're going to make a big difference. Uh, it might be after I graduate, which will be in the next couple months, but uh, I'm going to be happy knowing I can come back and know I still have a family here mm -hmm. where I feel belong. Yeah, right. And to hear Cruz say that is just, is just fantastic. We had an event last night um, where the entire community was there, and everybody was – it was a football game, and the football team won. Everybody's hugging and mm -hmm. cheering and crying and all of that together. And you see that, and you go, okay, I just want that to continue mm -hmm. throughout the year. I want these guys and the – you know, everybody from the dr drum line to mm -hmm. the rosettes mm -hmm. to the cheerleaders, you know, you all want them to feel that way throughout the year. And I think that this activity is going to help facilitate that. And this isn't a – situation where we're trying to do what is politically correct or be overly political in what we do we're just doing 
what's right. Yeah, we don't want and this work good. to we don't want this work to divide the community, but it, this work should challenge the community, right? There will be points of difference and and uh, and and differing perspective and, and different opinion, uh, but in the end analysis, we can do this in a way where everybody feels that their opinion uh, and and their perspective matters and is honored. And if we do that, that will create this uh, sense of belonging and emotional comfort and, and safety, which is very akin and very connected to the physical safety that everybody needs when they show up at a place. And so those two together, the physical safety we talked about with Bodhi and what we've explored today around the emotional safety of our commitment to, to thinking about uh, how we all fit here in our individual journeys, I think is really what's important. So uh, again, Thank you all both for your uh, year of service to the task force, but also for the work you're continuing to do to uh, be the hands, as Desiree said, to bring this work to life. And um, we appreciate your commitment to the school. So thanks for joining me on the From My Angle podcast. Thank you, guys. Thanks, thanks for having us. Awesome. Thank you for listening to this edition of the From My Angle podcast. Please share it with friends and colleagues in your network. In our upcoming episode, we will conclude our look at safety as a necessary prerequisite to fostering a community of belonging. For the first time, I will welcome a student co-host, Junior Amari Hayes, to join me. Dedicated listeners will remember Amari as a dynamic guest on last season's podcast. Together, he and I have decided to offer a series of belonging-focused podcast episodes this year ones which orient distinctly to the perspective of the student experience. In this inaugural joint effort, Amari and I will be joined by members of the upper school community to discuss how new students are guided in their acclimation and finding a fit in our high school's academic program. I am certain you will enjoy that conversation. I look forward to sharing with you in our next episode. Until then, thank you for being with us on the From My Angle podcast.